Welcome to episode three in a four-part series about learning for justice. If you have missed the previous two episodes, those were on the impacts of shared leadership and how do my students experience school? So how do we actually measure that experience of students and other stakeholders? In this one, we're focusing on actually creating the structures around shared governance. And then in the next one, we're going to be talking about how to analyze data through an adaptive leadership lens or approach. So don't miss the full series. If you want to check out another one, please feel free and then dive into this one when you are ready. So here we go. How to create shared governance structures is going to be this podcast topic. And so in thinking about what we've been discussing for the last two episodes, we've spoken about why sharing leadership with stakeholders is valuable. Particularly, we focused on why sharing leadership is valuable for student outcomes. We also talked about how to measure student perceptions of things like leadership opportunities, feelings of belonging at school. And today we really wanna talk about when we actually implement shared leadership and shared governance specifically, what does that look like? What are the things we need to keep in mind as well as how have other folks done this in different educational spaces? What does this actually look like in practice? And so specifically, we wanna talk about structures that we put in place that allow us to systematize shared leadership and school decision-making. So structures are gonna support the sustainability of this endeavor. Shared leadership is not gonna work as a one-off initiative. It can't be a one-time thing. So if we envision each time a policy is created or changed, that there is a process where family members and caretakers, students and teachers, leaders and staff, they're all part of that process of policy creation or adaptation, then the school is going to make better decisions. Research shows that, right? We've spoken about that in previous episodes. And simultaneously, what that does is communicate the message and reinforce that message each time that yes, stakeholder voices are truly valued. This is not something we merely talk about and never do, but we do this on an ongoing basis. This is a regular, sustainable process. And we don't have to take time out of our days at some point to do these huge one-off initiatives if we're really integrating and living out the values of equitable, inclusive decision-making from the lens of shared leadership on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. So with that framing in mind, we're gonna now dive into the principles of shared leadership. As you're setting up these structures, what are the things to keep in mind? So research has highlighted a number of practices that we do wanna keep in mind when we're setting up structures of shared leadership. And so I'll just speak to each one of those briefly. And this first one is all about mindset. So we have to embrace what Fielding calls radical collegiality. So this term is defined in relation to students initially by Michael Fielding in his 2001 work. But I also believe it's useful for our work with families and caretakers as well. It refers to the idea that educators learn and become more effective when they see students and family members and all stakeholders as partners and they share responsibility for success of students, right? That's why we're all there. And this mindset is essential for shared leadership. If it doesn't exist, you can put in all the structures and practices that you want. 
but it's not going to take hold. It's not going to be sustainable. There will constantly be this kind of undermining of each of those practices and initiatives if we don't have this core belief, if we don't have radical collegiality. So that's the first principle I wanna highlight. Next is thinking about building a representative leadership team. So research has found that this group should be no larger than 15 members, more than that, and it becomes really unwieldy, ineffective. It's just a lot of voices to manage in a space, especially when we're making decisions and we require things like consensus and everyone having a voice in the decision-making discussion process, right? 15 is, is a large group and we should try to keep it to that. It can be smaller, but it shouldn't be larger. When possible, stakeholders should also be represented equally with a slightly higher percentage of students or historically underrepresented folks with a ratio to, for example, students to adults or students or folks who are historically underrepresented to folks who are historically overrepresented. So I'm just thinking of an example here. Researchers have found that when there's one student on a board, a leadership team, for example, those students are actually silenced. They might be all excited to be on this leadership team, but because they're the only student in the room, or I think this would result for families as well, right? If you're the only one in the room and you're outnumbered by like 10 to one, how much does your stakeholder group really matter, right? You're sending the message that it doesn't, you're kind of like this token figure. And so we want to avoid that as much as possible. And in fact, err on the other side, right? Of over-representing stakeholders who have been historically underrepresented. The next principle is to clarify the governance structure. I want to be really clear about this because some schools purport to be student-led schools or teacher-led schools or multi-stakeholder-led schools, whatever the phrase they use is. They purport to have, you know, uh, family school partnerships that are really great. But if we're not really clear about what that means, we can all have different conceptions of it and then come to the table expecting different things and be really frustrated with what we walk away with. So this principle is inviting everyone to be very clear and communicate exactly how and to what extent power and decision-making is shared. So you wanna actually identify the types of decisions that a school has to make, which of those are going to be shared which of those are going to be made solely by the school administrator? And even at the level of shared, when is it going to all of the stakeholder groups and kind of these feedback loops where we're gonna spend some time editing, revising, sending it back to the group, bringing it back to the leadership team, that kind of thing. And when is it, okay, we're gonna get survey results from everybody and we're gonna use that to inform a decision that just the leadership team will make. We have to be really clear about when decisions involve which stakeholders and what that process looks like. We also have to clarify what is needed to move forward with a decision. So if I think this is something we all need to consent to, this has to be a consensus, like I can live with it, everyone has to agree. And then someone else in the group thinks, oh, it's a majority vote. So it doesn't matter if everyone consents, it's just like the majority has to agree. We're also going to have very different conceptions of feeling heard and valued and understanding that this is a multi-stakeholder shared leadership endeavor. So be really clear about what decisions are made by whom, and then what is needed to move forward with the decision. We should also communicate to leadership team members 
what is their responsibility to communicate with the stakeholders they represent? So for example, is it an expectation that if you represent a student homeroom, for example, that students need to communicate weekly and have this bi-directional kind of flow of communication? Here's what we talked about at this week's leadership meeting. Here's what the students are talking about. Or is it just for major policies that you really need to gather the stakeholders you represent and have kind of a, a meeting or a discussion about what that policy proposal changes, uh, doing a survey in those moments, you know, what does that actually look like? The next principle is use stakeholder research to inform decisions. And so decisions that are made by a shared leadership team, for example, should be based on data. And there are all sorts of data streams. Historically in education, we look at academic data or behavioral data, but perception data, which can be collected in a variety of data collection methods, surveys, interviews, focus groups, that kind of data is often overlooked, but it is incredibly valuable. So it's this type of data that tells us about stakeholders' experience of the school. So their sense of belonging or the extent to which they feel their voice is valued. And it's really critical that we not only value it, we seek it out continuously and we support folks to be able to collect and monitor and effectively analyze that data. And that's what we'll be talking about that data analysis piece in the last episode of this series. So the next episode coming up next week. The next principle is pedagogy. So typically we think of pedagogy in just the classroom, but I like to think of it as really scaffolding learning experiences that extend even beyond the classroom. I think of these leadership opportunities that shared leadership presents and these structures present invite us to support ourselves and each other in growing our leadership skills. And we need to make sure that leadership growth and that practice, that information flow, whatever it is, is scaffolded so that every stakeholder who wants to participate can. So for example, members of the leadership team should receive the support they need to communicate regularly with the stakeholders they represent. If that's an expectation, if they are expected to you know, survey or regularly communicate in various ways to make it accessible to all stakeholders, they might need some, some logistical training on a tech tool, like how to send out a survey using Google Forms. Or if folks do not like texting or they don't like email or they can't come to a meeting, can you use an alternative format like Voxer or an LMS like Google Classroom to communicate? And if that's the option that stakeholders wanna communicate through, you have to make sure that our representatives are trained in how to do that, in addition to a wide variety of leadership skills that are required, right? The last principle I want to share is just consistency, right? If we meet consistently, then this is going to be far more sustainable. We're going to have a lot fewer road bumps. Um, and I think this sounds really obvious, right? Meet at the same time in the same place when possible to avoid confusion but it often hasn't been done. And in fact, I'll share an example from the research. There are shared leadership initiatives that didn't think about student or family schedules. And so what they did was hold meetings during school hours. So a student representative would have to choose between skipping class or missing the meeting. Family members were often at work during this time. And so family member representatives couldn't attend. And it became just in name, we are shared leadership, we are inclusive, we have these stakeholder representatives, but in practice, the only folks who can attend the meeting 
are school staff, right? And it becomes the same thing that it always has been. So those are the principles. Just to recap, embrace radical collegiality, build a representative leadership team, clarify the governance structure, use stakeholder research to inform decisions, pedagogy or that scaffolding of learning experiences, and meet consistently. Now I wanna share with you a few case studies. So these principles can of course be developed and sustained in a variety of ways in different schooling and educational institutions. And I just wanna show you a few examples of how schools and districts are actually putting these principles into action. You'll see that they vary in both their setting and context, but also how they interpret and enact these principles. First, I want to tell you about Superintendent Darcy Fernandez. She was on an earlier episode of the podcast, which I will link to in the blog post version of this episode. She is a superintendent of Massachusetts Apple Royalston District. She called for all stakeholders, including family members, students, teachers, and community members to join subcommittees for the district's upcoming five-year strategic planning process. And you can hear directly from her on that previous episode, hearing about all of the different logistics of how she did it, how many subcommittees there are, how many people signed up, and what that process is going to look like moving forward. Here's another example. A high school in Pennsylvania offers constitutional courses in the ninth grade. Often government courses are offered as a 12th grade social studies course, but they do it this way so that students are able to fully engage in school governance through the remainder of their 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade years at the high school. The school system of governance is really cool. It's modeled after the three branches of the United States government with an executive branch composed of school staff and the legislative and judicial branches composed of a mix of students and staff. And I'm gonna link in the blog post version of this episode as well to more about the school's structure. There's a beautiful kind of rendition of what it looks like as a flow chart and how decisions are made and who makes up like legit details of who makes up you know, the number of students, the number of staff, each of the components of government. So super cool. Here's another example. As a principal, Taryn Gavan used the leader in me framework, which involves stakeholder specific lighthouse teams. And the student lighthouse team was made up of several representatives from each grade team, which were selected by the students. The staff had their own lighthouse team, and then families had a lighthouse team of their own as well. The program emphasized building individuals' leadership skills around Stephen Covey's research as they navigated their roles in the lighthouse teams and in the larger school experience. So these skills were emphasized in meetings and classroom spaces, and everyone had that shared language of the leadership skills that we were all trying to build together. And you can hear directly from Taryn on a previous episode of the podcast as well, which I will link in the blog post version of this episode. On an even broader scale, I love this example, now living in the larger Boston area, the Boston Student Advisory Council, or BSAC for short, is a student body that advises the Boston School Committee and they work with school leaders on three priority issues. Those issues are environmental justice, student rights and student voice, and then finally, school climate and culture improvement. Every Boston Public High School has at least two students on BSAC, and I'm going to link to a document that highlights 
all of the various student roles in governance at not just the district level, but also the school and state level. So there's a lot of student involvement at various levels, and you can kind of see the difference for how that looks and also how it looks for students to be engaging with adult stakeholders as well in each of those dimensions. So at what points do they engage, in what way, um, you know, prior to which decision, that kind of thing. A final note as we kind of close up the episode here is in thinking about facilitating partnerships, it is a really daunting task. And so I want to name that. It is a daunting task to bring hundreds, if not thousands of voices, depending on you know, the size of your educational institution, together to make important school decisions. It is hard. A 2016 Center on Education Policy study found that nearly 50% of teachers said their input is not considered in school-wide decisions. And as a result, they feel really frustrated and excluded. Students who have historically experienced exclusion from school systems and their family members who may have been excluded from their children's school, but also, you know, as students themselves may have been excluded from their schooling systems, as a result would be understandably skeptical of the idea of partnering with teachers or school leaders. And so establishing trust, this sense of community, this sense of multi-stakeholder partnership, it is absolutely necessary. And it's also gonna take time and effort to build. It's not going to be easy, but it is going to be well worth it when it is all established and adequately sustained. Just to give a little light at the end of the tunnel here, researchers Carson, Teslick, and Marone have shared that you know, shared leadership really thrives when members share a commitment to a common goal, they receive emotional support from one another, and they feel their individual voices are valued. Furthermore, they found, quote, when team members feel recognized and supported within their team, we're talking about social support here, they are more willing to share responsibility, cooperate, and commit to the team's collective goals, end quote. And so I think this is a perfect representation of what is possible when we do this community building, this foundational kind of, you know, facilitating relationships and even more than relationships, partnerships with multiple stakeholders and building that collective that we then sustain and nurture on an ongoing basis. This makes shared leadership more than a one-off initiative. I think these principles and these examples of case studies will hopefully help you in wrapping your mind around what that could look like for your school. And also to help you get started, I am going to link to my free worksheet in the show notes in the blog post, setting up structures for shared leadership. So just a few questions to help get you started thinking you know, about what it is that you want to do, what is the current state of your school governance structure, what practices could you implement or refine, and don't forget to check out the last point in the series as well, so part four of this four-part learning for leading for justice series, that's going to be an adaptive leadership approach to data analysis, so thinking about once you set up the structures, what does it look like in those meetings, what are the practices that we need to maintain um, how do we consider data? How do we make sure we're looking at the right data streams? And how do we analyze it, interpret it, and act on it? And then, of course, revise on an ongoing basis those actions that we're taking. So that is a whole lot of information in the episode. I hope it was helpful for you. One more thing before you go. 
I want to tell you about my new six-week hyper-focused group coaching program just for leaders who want to set up and sustain shared leadership structures that amplify student voice. Each week, we meet for 60 minutes to learn new concepts and skills, share implementation successes, and apply research-based approaches to address challenges. Sign up to meet with me and learn more at calendly.com slash lindsaybethlyons. The program will be open for enrollment through December 22nd, 2021.